Chewing. All I can remember uh, the frustration of not being able to talk. Horrible yeah. frustration. I have a temper tantrum because I was so frustrated. Hey guys, welcome back to another Saturday live show. When I say live, I mean we recorded this live, but it's uh, obviously pre-recorded. Anyway, guys, today it's awesome. It's a good day. I feel honored uh, to have a special guest with me today, which has been a long time coming, I believe, because a lot of people have asked for me to be interviewing this guest. So today I am welcoming Dr. Temple Grandin to the show. Dr. Grandin, how are you? I am just fine. Uh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, so for anybody who doesn't know, do you want to just give me like a, a quick like summary of who you are and what you kind of do? Well, I'm uh, Temple Grandin. I'm a professor of animal science at Colorado State University. Sure. And when I was a little kid, I had no speech till age four. So very fortunate to get into very good early intervention. Mm-hmm. Had wonderful teachers. I also had a great science teacher mentor because I was a bad student who was not <laughs> interested in studying until my science teacher gave me a lot of interesting projects and then studying became a pathway to a goal of becoming a scientist. And that motivated me to study. Mm, I love it. And so you're, you're, you're on the autism spectrum as well. Um, uh, so you have a diagnosis of what, what were you diagnosed with? Well, I'm 74 years old. So mm-hmm. when I went to the doctor, nobody even knew what autism was. Um, first doctor I went to was a neurologist. She tested me for epilepsy, that was negative, tested me for deafness and referred me to a little speech therapy school that two teachers taught out of their home and diagnosed me with minimal brain damage. And then later on, I definitely got an autism diagnosis. I had all of the classic symptoms. Wow, that's interesting. And what kind of- uh, Due to my age, uh, doctors didn't know what it was. This is fascinating, that is fascinating. And and what kind of like, you know, just just out of interest, like what were some of the traits that you were kind of, um, you know, experiencing or or showing? Oh, I can remember uh, the frustration of not being able to talk. Horrible frustration. I have a temper tantrum because I was so frustrated. Sensory problems, loud noises hurt my ears. In fact, now I've discovered that if you have the child initiate the sound, let's say it's a car horn or a vacuum cleaner, where they turn it on and off, they can sometimes get to tolerate it if they control the dreaded sound. Sound sensitivity, couldn't stand scratchy clothes, socially awkward. Um, when I was in high school, I got bullied and teased and I was called tape recorder because I'd always say the same things over and over again, the same phrases. I didn't know why they were calling me that. Mm-hmm. Um, the teenage years, absolutely the worst part of my life. Yeah, I can vote for that too. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. You know, it's such an interesting um, thing to hear somebody, uh, you know, of your generation uh, having this kind of experience. It's just absolutely fascinating. But um, I, I thank you so much for sharing that information with us. I'm sure that's very valuable for, for the people who watch uh, my channel. And um, just, to ha- just out of interest, a lot of people want to know, um, do you have a, a high IQ? I know it's a bizarre question, but what would you, do you know your IQ? No, I went on. I had high enough IQ that uh, they knew that I wasn't um, I wasn't stupid. Yeah, um, yeah. My ability in art showed up very early when I was eight years old, oh, and okay. I would draw the same horse head over and over again. And mother encouraged me to draw lots of different things. Yeah, and to yeah. broaden the skill. I can't emphasize enough the importance of developing strengths. Mm. I was one of these kids who's a visual thinker. Everything I think about is a picture. It's called an object visualizer. In fact, I discussed that in my book, The Autistic Brain, some of the yes. science behind that. some of the different kinds of thinking. 
and being an object visualizer has helped me in my work with livestock equipment design because I can just see it, but I cannot do algebra. Absolutely cannot do algebra. And I'm yeah. saying a lot of kids that are object visualizers can't graduate from high school if they can't do algebra. That's a lot of jobs you don't need that. 100%. Some visual thinkers are very good with mechanical things. Mm -hmm. And then you have your math thinker, your visual, spatial, mathematics thinker. That tends to go together with music. And then, of course, you've got your word thinker. And you want to take the strength. And I want to just make one distinction between sure. a strength and an interest. Things like art, math, or music, those are strengths. An interest might be horses or or cars or something like that. That would be an interest. And people tend to mix those things up. What yeah. you gotta do is broaden that interest. You know, you can read about cars, do math with cars, broaden it. That's perfect. Like you're speaking my language here. Um, so I, I was diagnosed at 20, well, I'm, so I'm 35 now. Um, so a little bit younger than yourself, but uh, back where I live in Wales, it's quite rural, right? And um, and there was nobody to diagnose autism back in the 80s and 90s where I live. And yeah. so I was diagnosed at 26, but I, I had some other diagnosis all the way up to that. But you know what you're saying about being a visual thinker? I totally relate to that. Um, and I'm also, I'm a, I'm a chemist. I have a degree in chemistry, a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry. And so I was really into algebra, but I'm also a multi-musician. So I play a lot of different musical instruments, but I, I like maths and music. So it's kind of like, it makes well, sense. Well, that's more the mathematical model because what the science is showing, and I describe it in the autistic brain, and there's a lot more science that backs this up since that book was published. I'm an object visualizer. I think in, in pictures, you sound more like the visual spatial thinker because you were good at algebra. That's more of a pattern kind of thinking. That's it's correct, visual, yeah. but it's more pattern. And that's a different kind of thinking than, than me, the object visualizer. Then you have a verbal facts guy. Then you have a lot of people, just regular so-called normal people that are verbalizers and that are ver total verbal thinkers. And it was a shock to me when I was in my late 30s to discover that other people did not think in pictures. That was really a shock to me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, hundred percent. I, I have this argument with my, my spouse all the time. She, I, I think in pictures, but she doesn't. And I'm like, you know, I, I have to be visual and especially when we're describing things, I have to have them like drawn out, you know, it's difficult to read kind of like just written lists rather than if I don't see images of those, you know. When it, but if it's something like how to, how to do something, I'd rather just see a diagram of it than read about it. Right. I totally, I totally relate. So that leads me to uh, the fact that we are here today. Um, and I really thank you for your time as well. Um, is that you have, or you have a new book coming out or it's already out, right? That you wrote, you wrote with um, well, Deborah did, Moore. Uh, Deborah Moore, Navigating Autism. And one of the things that's really important is developing the kids' strengths. I'm seeing too many kids where they get so hung up on the diagnosis that they're, they're not accomplishing much. There's many famous people that are autistic. This is a, a book about Elon Musk by Ashley Banks. And these are post-it notes I put in here many years ago in the pages where I thought he was autistic. Mm -hmm. He's now come out on a comedy show. Yeah. And, yeah. He's, and in all seriousness, has revealed that he ha he's on the autism spectrum. Einstein, uh, no speech until age three, would probably be in an autism program today. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so autism is going all the way from someone like Elon Musk, Einstein, okay, myself and you, to somebody who cannot trust themselves. And it's all got the same meaning. Mm -hmm. which from a service standpoint, educational standpoint, doesn't really make very much sense. Um, it's a behavioral profile. It's not a, an exact diagnosis, like saying you have the Delta variant of COVID. That's an example of an exact diagnosis. 
Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Um, so, so your new book, Navigating Autism, right? So who is this, who is this book kind of aimed towards? Who is it written for? It's aimed, it was originally aimed more at professionals um, uh, and try to get them sort of out of the, um, uh, just getting stuck in the box with the labels. Uh, there's a lot of crossover between autism and ADHD, about a third of the symptoms of brain scan stuff, the genetic information crosses over. So that's why those get mixed up. Um, I've designed the front end of every Cargill beef plant in North America. And I work with a lot of um, uh, really talented uh, welders, machinery designers, people that have 20 patents. And I'm going to estimate that about 20% or so of the people I've worked with um, that were laying out entire big factories were either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD. And I am saying that seriously. And one of the worst things the schools did is take out all the hands-on classes, you know, auto shop, welding, art, cooking, sewing, woodworking, because these are all classes that can lead to really good careers. And in the U.S. right now, we've got a huge shortage of high-end skilled trades and people that can fix equipment in factories, run uh, logistics problems, they've got horrible supply chain management problems, uh, and, and you need people like me who can't do algebra to help make stuff work. Yeah, 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 100%. That's super important as well. Um, so like, you know, a lot of like your work is based on like your own understanding of, who, you know, you, who you are and your kind of autistic, you know, reality, I guess. Why do you think it's important to share the knowledge that you've learned about yourself, you know, with other people? Because I think it can help other people. I see too many parents, and maybe this is more of a problem in my country than yours, I'm not mm. sure. Mm. Um, but a lot of parents overprotect their kid that I see situations where you have a smart kid in high school doing really well, who's never gone shopping, never had a bank account, not learning just the basics of life. I was shopping when I was um, seven. And people will say to me, well, why do you just tell about your own experiences? You see, my mind thinks in specific examples. Verbal thinkers are very top down. Okay, you gotta learn life skills. Hmm. Um, But when I look back at things I was taught in my generation, like having an allowance, and learning how to save for a toy airplane. Mm. I'm realizing now the really important skills that that, that, that taught me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and kids are not having that. And that's why I came out with some other kids' books like Outdoor Scientist, get kids off the devices that's cool. and, and get them outside doing things. We've got to get these kids doing things. And they're often reluctant to do things. But being a bottom-up thinker, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I didn't have very much data in the database. So I'd make associations that were kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. And as I got older and I got exposed to more and more things, then I could think better. And I've had parents say to me, when they finally got their kid out on their first job, they'll say to me, he just, they'll tell me he just blossomed. That's because he's getting exposed to more things. Now for good first jobs, we got to avoid multitasking. Don't stick them on the McDonald's takeout window. Also, any task that involves verbal sequence, give them a written pilot's checklist of the sequence. I cannot remember long strings of verbal information. Never have been able. I get it. Do you know, um, it's really interesting because I think uh, there's a lot of that, you know, like one of the things that I'd say is strength in my life. I can relate to what you're saying is that when I was, when I was a kid, obviously not being diagnosed with autism until I was in my twenties, my parents put me to a mainstream school, right. And they were just like, okay, go to this club, do that thing. And I was forced to be in those circles. So I learned loads of those things, like, you know, being a, you know, a kid 
in I wasn't bubble wrapped basically. I know we spoke a little bit about this before we we started recording, but my parents never bubble wrapped me. They just kind of pushed me out there. And I think one of the okay, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle, like the social interaction, like you said. You know, I I was a bit a bit more of a robot, and kids didn't really understand me. But you know, I learned so much from being in those situations. I think that's super important, and um, it's nice that you you talk about that. Well, I think it's really important because I have a lot of grandparents that come up to me in good jobs, engineers, accountants, uh, various different jobs. And they discover they're on the spectrum when the kids get diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a few older adults that get relieved when they get a diagnosis because it explains their relationship uh, problems. The other thing for me, I was getting bullied and teased. The place where I had friends was friends who shared interests. Mm -hmm. I cannot emphasize that enough. Friends through shared interests. And in high school, for me, it was horseback riding and model rocket club and electronics lab. And for somebody else, it might be art, it might be music, um, it could be a choir, it could be a lot of different things. Yeah, no, I, you know, I did, a, I do this little um, course uh, on my website. And one of them is uh, how to how to make friends. And I'm trying to teach, you know, the parents try and, and and encourage those shared interest classes like if it's a minecraft group or if it's a like you said if it's a modeling club or a you know pokemon card club it's those kind of shared interests that you're going to build that relationship with because it's going to be effortless communication right you're going to already know like well, each other that's like the right and the uh, no that's absolutely right and that's where those are the places i had friends in fact one enterprising mom with minecraft uh, had a bunch of wood blocks uh, cut up and had the kids paint and sand them to have Minecraft blocks in the driveway. Or you could save up the boxes from all you know, the uh, home deliveries you get and ta- tape them up and paint them and have giant Minecraft blocks. That's a cool idea. And that's something it's really easy to do. And this one kid became the hit of the neighborhood with his Minecraft blocks. Whoa. That's cool. That is very cool. I, do you know what's funny? I have a strong relationship with Minecraft because I did my dissertation uh, on my thesis in, in chemistry. I actually built a, um, a teaching tool in Minecraft to teach kids how to use a molecular symmetry and group theory, which is quite a, a difficult thing for some people to grasp. But Now, you know, are you working in chemistry right now? I'm not currently, no, I'm a social media influencer, which is, you know, my, this channel and my social media channels and stuff. So that's what I do now, but I don't, I, you know, unfortunately I was going to do my PhD and they closed the chemistry department down in my local university. So that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, it was, a, it was, a. I mean, I do a lot of, um, you know, consulting about autism now, but I still think it's important. You'll still be a professor of animal science. I teach in my class. We're back now with masks on in-person classes. It's mm. wonderful doing an in-person lab last week, cattle handling. And uh, still doing doing research projects involving animals, horses, and cattle. And I think it's important, you know, like to have some some other career other than autism. A hundred percent. Yeah, I I I totally agree because it's kind of like a it's that outlet, isn't it? Like I love researching and stuff like that. So I love researching different types of kind of uh, more like biochemistry stuff, and it's just such a nice such a nice outlet to, to do stuff like that. And I think you're right. You know, maybe I should, maybe I should do more. Um, all right. So- you need to get, I think you need to get your chemistry models uh, out there. I'm also want to emphasize, I'm sorry about interrupting. This is a problem is I still have. I cannot time on my processor speeds so slow. I cannot time when exactly to cut into a conversation. It's okay. That's not a problem. Um, and I do the same thing. So I think we're just going to just us for 20 minutes talking over each other. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of um, the book, um, you talk a lot about something called the whole child. Um, what is, 
what is it? What, what's that? Why is that so vital? Like, what, what do you Can you explain that a little bit? That idea? Well, the problem in a lot of cases, they just uh, look at the label and they don't look at other things about the child. Like maybe he's good at music or good at math mm-hmm. or, or, um, or like some other, you know, interests and other things he's good at. Uh, they just look at the autism and, and you need to look way beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a, I, I know what you mean. It's like looking at the, the, the person as a whole rather than just looking at that, that small section that you know you can control, right? It's like, what, what else can we do here? What else can this child Well, I'm do? seeing too many people getting sort of locked into the medical model and then they kind of assume the child can't do anything. And we need to be getting these kids out doing more stuff. Mother would always give me choices. Mm-hmm. And then she realized that when I got tired in the big noisy environments, you know, I might start screaming. Um, she kind of had a good sense of how to stretch me, giving me choices to do things. Like when I was a teenager, <coughs> I was afraid to go to my aunt's ranch. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I got into the cattle industry. And my mother said, you can go for a week or you can go all summer. Not going is not an option. But if you hate it, you can come back in a week. She always gave me some choices. She had a very good sense of how to stretch me without throwing me into a situation where it would just be too overwhelming to handle it. Got out to the ranch and I loved it. Yeah. Sounds like your mother really understood who you were, right? My parents really didn't, unfortunately. But it sounds like your mother really got who you were. You know, she was very in tune with you from what you're saying. Well, she was, she's very much a visual thinker. She was doing a lot of, um, of, of like semi-professional theater stuff when I was a child. She's very art, artistic uh, at our little school fair. She helped them put on plays and, and uh, she was very, very creative. That's no, lovely. That's lovely. So, um, you know, you advocate for customized interventions, right? For children with ASD. What, what do you mean by that? I would love to kind of get a, a more... Well, let's say sensory problems, for example, are really, really vertical. One kid's got sound sensitivity. Another kid may have visual sensitivity where certain fluorescent lights or LED lights will flicker. You know, that would be an example of something being customized. Uh, one of the things that is known now is that sensory integration type things, the airs, the sensory integration, that is now an evidence-based treatment that you would do along with speech therapy or behavior therapy or some other thing. Um, also, I always say to parents, you need to have an effective teacher. And what's that? You mm. get progress. If it's little kids, more speech, more turn taking. I was taught how to wait and take turns, more basic skills. I always ask parents, they said, well, should it be in that program or that program? And I always ask, is your kid improving? Okay, tell me how much more speech he's gotten. I don't like abstract stuff. This is mm-hmm. one thing I learned from 25 years in steel and concrete and mechanical construction at factories. Um, I don't like abstractions. Okay, tell me exactly how he's progressed. You know, less tantrums. Uh, uh, are the sensory problems getting, you know, less severe? Can he dress himself? Is he learning shopping? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you know, no, but- things I can visualize. You see, I don't think abstractly. Thing I'm learning about the verbal thinker, the regular neurotypical verbal thinker, yeah. is they have a big overgeneralization, but they don't know how to implement things. You see, both my mind, the visual thinker, and your mind, the math thinker, we're bottom-up thinkers. Mm-hmm. Concepts are formed from specific examples, and you get a whole bunch of specific examples, and you can put them in different categories. You know, uh, and 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 verbal thinker is very very top-down, and uh, they don't plan. 
okay, mm -hmm. we're supposed to have an inclusive school. Well, how do we do this? <laughs> you see, when I think about that and thinking about, well, here's a situation that did not work and I see it. And here's another situation that worked fine. One teacher started a Star Wars club because an autistic kid liked Star Wars and that enabled him to get friends. Mm -hmm. That was a really simple thing to do. Mm. But that's specific of some a specific example of something that worked because i've had people write on the chat well temple just um uh talks about her own experiences or i talk about somebody else's experiences yeah yeah but my mind works in specific examples yeah of course i'll tell you something that does not work for a job yeah take an 18 year old girl shove her in a chaotic busy clothing store at christmas time <laughs> as a first job and you started at christmas time that did not work no no that was, yeah, I wouldn't say that was a good thing to no, do. That was a, that was a bad mistake. I, and I talked to that family and said, that was a bad mistake. Yeah. You know, let's try something quieter, like the clothing store, not at Christmas time. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 the, here's a success. There's yeah, an autistic yeah. guy at an auto parts store and that's relatively quiet. I've been in the auto parts store here and they loved him. He didn't need the computer. He memorized every part number for every part in the warehouse. <laughs> that's excellent no no it's, a, it's good it's a good example um okay so here's here's the last question about the book then um in, in the book you kind of focus on different types of medical conditions that are associated with autism um and so how can you know additional conditions impact or affect a child's progress if they're autistic well let's look at well kids let's let's check for epilepsy okay um that is a you know, I hate the word comorbid. I think it's an awful term. It's a weird term, isn't it? I it agree. It simply means uh, when two conditions consist, uh, consist together. Yeah. To me, it sounds like something's dead. Yeah, that's what I There's said. A lot, a lot of medical terminology I don't really like, yeah. but you can get, well, ADHD and autism often go together. Yeah. Uh, you can get OCD and autism together. Mm -hmm. uh, gastrointestinal problems and yeah. autism tend to tend to go together. There's research that, that shows that. Yes. You know, so those are examples. Autoimmune problems. Uh, I had yeah. genetic testing done on me and it explained why I'm missing six adult teeth. I've got small teeth. My skin is messed up and my brittle nails just break off. Huh. Um, what's been learned about the autism is many, many, many genes contribute to that. Okay. The same genes that make the brain big in humans yeah. are the same genes involved with schizophrenia and autism. And there's hundreds of them. Okay. It's polygenic. What's that mean? Lots of little tiny bits of code contribute. Yeah. Simpler genetics explains why I have uh, brittle nails. That That's simple genetics. Mm -hmm. And I also learned from it that I had a bleeding disorder. And if I ever have a hip replacement, they have to be very careful not to give me too much heparin. I could bleed to death. Wow. Well, that was something I learned from it that uh, that could save my life. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, goodness me. You know, I, I actually have so my my comorbid my co-existing conditions. Uh, so I have ADHD, uh, which I take medication for. I also have uh, dyslexia, um, and I also have extreme eczema as well. So my skin. I is, have eczema yeah. too. I've yeah. got that too. Had it as a child. Yeah, um, I so have bad. eczema too. That that tends to go together. See, that kind of fits in with a lot of the. Um, uh, the kind of autoimmune abnormalities and things like that. Mm. But another thing is a lot of famous scientists and uh, musicians and stuff. Um, I've been looking up Michelangelo, Isaac Newton, oh, um, Tesla, the inventor mm. of the, um, the power plant, yeah. um, Edison, 
yeah, you know, probably one yeah. autism spectrum. Because yeah. a brain can be more cognitive or thinking, or a brain can be social, more social emotional. Yes. It takes processor space for this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I tend to be more thinking. Like I find it really interesting to have long conversations about animal behavior or long con- um, conversations about supply chain logistics. Mm. I just find this stuff like really super interesting. Mm, mm. I totally agree with things like that. Like I, I can talk for hours about things. Um, a lot of the time is a uh, marketing, um, you know, online marketing and SEO building and how, how, how you market a product online. I just love talking about that stuff. I actually consult with, with companies uh, about that, you know, as, well, my, oh, as cool. a side hustle and I, but I love it, you know, and some of the companies, they were like, Oh, you know, we're just starting up. We haven't got a lot of money. I say, look, I'm just going to do it because I love doing it. You know, I just love talking about it and, and, and trying different things and testing things because, you know, like you were saying about the supply chain, uh, it, it, on the internet, you know, to market a product on the internet, you know, what if say you're launching a course or a book, there's a certain line of, of, of distribution that happens there and that has to be optimized. Well, well, I can remember when all the internet, when the internet all started yeah. and everybody just thought it was just going to be in a computer. Well, yeah. now you have huge warehouses that, yeah. that create the supply chain. Yeah. You have yeah. huge data centers full of, you know, um, miles and miles of, uh, computer servers yeah, in yeah. gigantic warehouses. And I, I like to ask young students where the movies live online. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love to ask them that. And some will say, in a satellite, <laughs> in a cell phone tower. And I'm going, really? Uh, and then some will say, yeah, server. But then when I show them how big the warehouse full of servers is, it just blows their mind. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I think um, I think Facebook's got some servers in Alaska, and they've opened the top just to cool up, cool them down. Well, that's the problem. You see, and they yeah. put them in cold places, but there's a huge physical infrastructure. Yeah, it's just it's it's, it's enormous. Yeah. And yeah. one of the problems we got today with a lot of young people, because we've taken out the practical things, uh, you got young people that are going to grow up and make policy about stuff. And they don't have any idea how anything works. Hundred percent, I can agree. Actually, more. work. Yeah. I it's... had a student in my class that who had never measured anything with a ruler. That was this year. Oh my goodness! <laughs> that is unbelievable! Unbelievable! Wow! So, Temple, your book. When is this? Uh, when is the book out? Is it out already? Where yeah, can we get it? In the U.S., it's going to be. I think it's September twentieth. It's good. right around there. It's coming out sure. in the U.S. And and then of course I've got um, my own book, Thinking in Pictures. Um, I where I talk about my own autobiography, and it's just come out with a new afterward. Oh, cool! A new updated afterward. And you can get these on Amazon, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. The, all everything I have, everything that I have, and then Deborah Moore also has another book I worked with her on the Loving Push. And one of the things we discussed in that book yeah. was all the problems with video game addiction. I'm seeing so many kids get addicted to video games, yeah. and they're not getting jobs. They're not working for game companies. No. They're just playing video games all day. And I tell parents, you've got to get that under control. You don't ban it, but it's got to be. Yeah, it's going to be structured. And because they're not having good outcomes. No, you know, I, I did a I did a documentary with the BBC um, about about that exact thing, um, and it was a um, it was like a it was almost aimed towards teenagers, and we were trying to get them to realize the the difficulties that you may have if you become addicted to video games, and that's all you do. And it was it was startling the figures of people who are addicted to video games. It's a uh, it's it's well, I, 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 And there's we're here. Let me tell you where there's been some successes. 
I know of three young adults weaned off of video games. It was replaced with auto mechanics. Uh, okay. Because a lot of visual thinkers have, uh, are good with mechanical things. And one of them now works for railroad and fixes trains. And they wow. really like them. Um, and it tends to be some of the visual thinkers and math thinkers that are getting addicted to them. The verbal thinkers probably don't care that much about them. And in autism, you can get all three of the different kinds of thinking. Mm. And the difference with an autistic person is you'll be an extreme visualizer or an extreme visual spatial uh, math person or an extreme verbal person. So-called normal people are more mixtures of the different kinds of thinking. Yeah. But there's scientific research that shows this actually exists but we got to wean them off and replace that video game with something else. And I'm not saying that auto mechanics is for everybody, but for my kind so, of mind, yeah, yeah. Um, the mechanical thing is, is really a good, a really good feel. Cause I worked with people that designed equipment, like for meat factories and uh, uh, they were my kind of mind. Yeah. I worked with a guy who was a stutterer, autistic, dyslexic, terrible student, took a single welding course now owns a big metal fabrication company and sells his equipment around the world. Holy smokes. See, this is what makes me kind of crazy as I go back and forth between the autism world and the industrial world. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I, I you know, I, it's fascinating. I think I could talk to you for hours about everything because <laughs> we have quite a lot in common. Um, so where could people find you? Do you have a website or do you have like a... I have templebrandon.com as my autism website. Okay. And I have grandon.com is my livestock website. Okay. Uh, I've got books listed on both of them. Amazon has got all my books. Okay. Um, also, I'm a professor of animal science at Colorado State University, and I can be tracked down through the university website. Excellent. Okay. And do you have any social media handles? Um, I let other people handle that. Okay. Uh, maybe I'm really showing my age here, but no. Uh, uh, but one thing I do is I try to answer correspondence and and uh, I, the other thing I've tried to do is write up a lot of stuff. I've got this other book, The uh, Way I See It, um, a lot of little short chapters. Some of it's my experience. One of the things I've discussed in, in thinking and pictures is I take medication. I've been on antidepressants for anxiety for since 1980. They saved me. Yeah. And, and if anybody's interested in that, I, I really strongly recommend reading Thinking in Pictures because I don't want any misunderstanding about the medication. So I'd rather have you read it. I'd love to read that, actually. I might, I might get that today. In Thinking in Pictures, and you get into all this discussion about medication, and you get the same discussion about dogs because Prozac works on dogs, mm -hmm. and it works on people. And should you give dogs Prozac? Well, let's give the dog more exercise and more interaction with people first. See how he gets on. Yeah. Then let's see, you know, I'm, but on the other hand, I can't be totally against medication. Uh, you've got a dog that comes in and is totally scared or he tears apart the vet clinic. You know, then it might be good to give it a sedative before you bring it in, but that <laughs> doesn't mean you just do it with every dog. It, this is where the sensible thing to do Hmm. is something sort of more in the middle. There's way too many medications given out to young children. Way too much, way too much. Way too and much. And heavy duty medications with bad side effects. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, you know, that's a whole different topic. But, you know, I I, I can agree with you. I started taking medication about four years ago um, because I got to a point where 
um, because having ADHD and, and autism kind of like um, it, it was just it was just bad you know it was a bad I just couldn't rock myself out of um, a bad condition so I started taking a an antidepressant that was kind of designed and, and and treated for people who were diagnosed with Asperger's right which is what my diagnosis was um, and it's so far you know I, I feel great you know it's really helping me a lot. Well, that's good. And I went on old-fashioned antidepressants. They're so old that it's before Prozac and stuff like that was invented. The thing I want to warn you, low doses. Yeah. Too often, too often I've had people say, oh, you did great on a low dose. We doubled the dose. And uh, uh, then you got agitation and insomnia. The other big mistake people make once they get stable on a, on a really good med is they think, oh, I can go off this. Mm -hmm. See some real messes with that. Yeah, I was thinking that recently. I had to think, I feel great, you know, maybe I could, you know, but I don't think it's it's not a good thing. And, you know, I did it because I'm not like I'm against medication. I just thought like I'm quite a, uh, I'm going to, you know, muscle through this. I'm going to figure out these problems myself. But it got to a point where it was kind of breaking point. You know, I just felt so, I was so low. I had to take well, what happened to me is I was, I went through my 20s. I got more and more and more anxious just over nothing. And my health was coming apart colitis attacks that just wouldn't stop all kinds of stress-related health problems and i went on the antidepressant and three days later um it was like wow mm. this works now depression doesn't lift in three days but my problem was anxiety that lifted within three days and that's why the chapter in thinking and pictures is called a believer in biochemistry yeah um because it was wow yeah. And you get the right med, one little med. That's all I take. Hmm. And and uh, I can I can I can totally agree because you know I got to a point my anxiety was so bad that when the mailman would between eight and like half nine in the morning, uh, the mailman would post the letters to the door, but it made me so anxious. I, I would just be I just couldn't concentrate. Well, that's just getting anxious over nothing, you see. Right. And that's the same thing that was with me. Any little thing. I was just having a panic attack over yeah. it. it. I kind of look at it like, okay, there's an old, if you know, old fashioned carburetors, mm -hmm. I've got um, an idle adjustment screw. Yep. Well, it was like my fear center. And I've since learned from brain scans that my fear center is three times larger than normal mm. was revving up like just the RPM meter, just maxing out. And, That's... and then when I took the, um, the medication it like turned the idle adjustment screw on the old-fashioned carburetor and i still have cycles of anxiety but instead of going i'm gonna to have to use english measurements here 200 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour i'm now going 100 miles an hour to 75 miles an hour yeah, in other words yeah. it's still cycles but, but it like idea. ramped everything down mm. and I don't know what would have happened to my health yeah. if I had not taken the medication. I, I would have had to have, you know, really invasive treatments to get the colitis stopped and the colitis almost completely cleared up wow. when I went on the medication. I still now have a little bit of problems with it, but it's very minor compared to what it used to be. It's incredible. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, meds can work, can work very well. Well, um, they can work really well. And then, and then used wrong. I see way too many bad things where I'll talk to a parent and the kids on like seven medications. Yeah. And I asked the parents, well, what kind of thought went into it? 
Then I'm finding out that they were just throwing prescriptions at it, throw three meds at it at a time yeah. instead of trying something carefully and, and seeing what's going to work. You don't start three of them at the same time. Yeah. And I find when I talk to them, there's no thought went into it. Yeah, that is the problem. Yeah, and a lot of the time, the doctors are just trying to sell them at the end of the day because they, they got there's somebody taking a commission somewhere and they're saying, well, we'll try this one out. And so, Well, sometimes that's true, but I think some of it also is just uh, oh, get them to quiet down, get out of my office and throw a prescription at it. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I talk to a lot of low-income families and that's where I really see some of these problems. And the doctor's super busy and doesn't have time to carefully ask the questions and troubleshoot it yeah yeah there's no uh, yeah it's, it's more of a conveyor belt right you know just here's a prescription oh, that's, the, that's the problem and 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 the other thing i'm finding on a lot of these things some people say well meds are terrible you should never use them mm-hmm. or just drown everybody in meds yeah it's gonna be and a balance the sensible thing to do is the younger the child less meds i like to use but i was one of these young adults where meds saved me a single little med saved me mm-hmm. and i think uh, yeah that's that's a good thing to 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 say because i think there's a fine line yeah there's, you have to have that balance between like finding the right amount of medication but the right just testing the one that you need you don't need to drown yourself in medication to feel better or even to just you know help with the situation you just need the right one at the right time uh, well, but yeah and the only side effect basically i have is i have to drink a lot of water but that's a side effect I can live with. And you've got to get, a, uh, you know, and, and there's different, a whole bunch of different medications in the same medication class. Mm. So you can try different ones and they're slightly different. Mm. Uh, just different enough so they don't violate each other's patents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to stop taking a sleep medication to take my, uh, my kind of prescription medication because they would kind of, overlap and could be all kinds of stuff going on but anyway again i could talk to you for hours uh, Dr. Well, the Gordon. other thing i found that helps i have to do a, a burst of hard vigorous exercise every day mm. in order to sleep 100 sit-ups every night hate them <laughs> and i was having sciatic nerve problems and i switched to kind of push-up things where I, but i've got to do this burst of hard exercise walking doesn't do it mm every day and that also is very helpful i I hear you i have to do the same thing i have to run at least like three miles to get that i I don't i just that's what i just that's my head what i just came in i had had a run i had a shower and and then we did this interview so i i I totally understand it's so bizarre how we have the same kind of things but i have to have that like really intense because that's it's intense because um you know when i was traveling all the time and doing you know like i added up how much airport walking i was doing and it was several kilometers Hmm. Um, I just wasn't airport doing it. walking and that just didn't seem to do it hmm. and I spent more time doing the airport walking than I did doing the burst of hard exercise and the burst of hard exercise was much more effective than walking yeah now, I still do walking for my back like if, when I was during all the lockdowns I walk around the neighborhood every day just for my back but um I've been getting back out on the road, traveling, traveling in the U.S. and loving it. Right. Dr. Grandin, thank you so much for um, coming okay. on the show. I'm sure everyone's going to be interested in this new book. I will leave all the links that we discussed in the show notes and in the description of the videos. So please check out Dr. Grandin's book, uh, the new book, which is Navigating Autism. Very excited for you guys to check that out.